So welcome to the Dragonfly Dojo. Tonight's talk, we're going to explore an individual, someone who is very important to me. And if you're a part of our Sangha or you're exploring the Buddhist path, which is actually unique to each of us, um, then it's important to you too. And that is the person that we refer to as Shakyamuni Buddha. And it's interesting when you look at the name Shakyamuni Buddha, uh, sometimes people will just say the Buddha or they'll say the historical Buddha. But we use the expression Shakyamuni Buddha to distinguish this particular individual. And at the same time that we're distinguishing that individual, we are affirming your Buddha nature. You are a Buddha. So if someone were to describe you, they might call you Becky Buddha. Or if you had a cool sounding Dharma name, Tito Buddha. But it would still be the same meaning. And so who is this person? Who is this person? So in order to explore who this person is, we have to look at the fact that this is something, this is a story about a person who is said to have existed nearly 3,000 years ago. And so this person is going to be a combination of what we might call history and myth. And by myth, I don't mean something false, the popular, more pedestrian view of myth, but I mean it in the Socratic sense something that points to something universal and deeper that while it might be embodied in a particular cultural context, it, it is never bound by it. So it's really important to sort of lead with that. And so I prefer to use the term legend when referring to Shakyamuni Buddha because his life is a combination of those things. So the legend of the Buddha. And just as our dragonfly spiritual community is not based upon scripture or tradition alone. In other words, we're not a people of the book. And, and while we honor and, and even revere certain traditions, um, we're not bound by them. And likewise, when it comes to um, this person, just as when it comes to scripture and other forms of tradition, it's more about our personal practice and experience. That's what's really important. And so, likewise, our faith is not, in, you know, dependent on, you know, any kind of historicity or fundamentalist approach. You know, where you have to refer to the past to somehow justify the present. So we're not involved in that game. Man. This is not our thing. Okay, but. That being said, you know, most scholars believe there was a person that we call the Buddha. Now, a lot of times, a, a spiritual or religious figure, the only thing you know about it are the things that the community, the disciples of the spiritual community wrote about that person. And that's not the most reliable form historically. But the nice thing we have about the Buddha Shakyamuni is that he's mentioned by other groups. And so there's... There's a lot of, um, I guess, veracity in the idea that he was a real person. But again, 
the thing that's most important, I think, to understand about his life is that his narrative is to be primarily a mirror for the hero's journey that we all must take, for, for our own path. And so it's, it's something for us to learn from, something for us perhaps to admire, and maybe a pioneer of our faith that we might even venerate. But he is a human being, and it's not something to be worshipped like God. He was awake. But his reality and his experience is the same experience that all of us can have. So he's not a superman in that sense for us. He might be supramundane in any way but not in a way that is different from you. You can do the same exact things that he did. And so there's none of this stained glass sort of hero worshiping that does not allow us to experience our own heroic journey. Is that clear? So I just wanted to, wanted to open up with that. So the stories of his life, I see primarily as teaching parables, which are designed to illustrate and illuminate the teachings of liberation. Okay, so the, the story of, of Shakyamuni and his life is there to provide a sort of a framework or a story outline for the teachings. So everything in the stories has a symbolic meaning. Even some of the names that are used and some of the actions that take place in the story, they're a lot like in the, the, the Zen tradition, what they call koans, where the story takes place and there's action and there's figures in it. But really, the question of every koan is, who are you? And so the point of the koan is to see yourself in that story. And so that's the same thing that is true for the koan of the life of Shakyamuni Buddha. Now, you know, getting into some of the historical stuff, you know, who was he? Where was he from? Well, you know, there's a large tradition that says that he was Indian and that he belonged to the Indian uh, community. Now, I'm talking about ancient Indian, which is very different from contemporary India in most ways. Or some think he, some scholars today believe that the name Shaka or Shakya is actually a transliteration of the, the expression for Scythian. And the Scythian were a, a sort of nomadic uh, warrior people of the horse that were, were well known. And so it is very likely that he may have been a Scythian. And so that changes a little bit of the, the, the construct of his background. But that's what I'm saying. Um, it's, it's not as important to us. That might be a fun sort of game for academics and scholars to play with, or maybe for you too, if you like that sort of thing. But it's not primary. And Shakyamuni means the sage of the Scythians, or the sage of the Shakyas. And sometimes it's expressed as the silent sage of the Shakyas. So that's some background there. Now, why is his life important? Well, because his life serves as that sort of framework for the stories and the narratives that provide all the teachings. And 
another way that I think of it is that in the stories themselves, it's not just about the teachings, but it's also about the revelation for his disciples, the men and women that were drawn to his teaching, that they saw in him something different. They saw in him a life, a life, an embodiment of the true self. And so, you know, I like to kind of, in my imagination, go back and imagine, you know, the early students or disciples of his and, you know, encountering him and meeting him, they saw something. They saw something in him and that he serves as like a mirror reflecting back to them, their own true self. Uh, the great psychologist Carl Jung once said, the life of the Buddha was a life that was a manifestation of the true self. And so I think that's important too, that they, they saw in his story, the story of the ego self that was a manifestation of the true self, an embodiment of the true self. And no matter how you break it down, there are essentially two methods to the way that Shakyamuni shared. The first method was the um, way of mindful living. So his sharing of the universal wisdom, and again, it's universal. It's not something that he began. In other words, it was something he, he rediscovered. And he would often say, you know, it was like uh, travelers or explorers going through a deep jungle and they come upon a city that's covered with um, foliage and, and, and it's been sort of lost to the ages, but it's there. And they discover this lost city and all the wonders that it brings. And so that's how he looked at the finding or the, or the sharing of the Dharma. And later on, other Buddhist teachers were often called treasure finders, that they would reveal things that were hidden but had always been there, giving it a sort of esoteric flair. So the first thing was the sharing of the spiritual technology of the way of mindful living. And that was the teachings of mindfulness and meditation and the way of precepts. And primarily, the biggest thing that we get from that is something which you can see it in other traditions throughout the world, most of them coming after the time of the Buddha. But this sort of revelatory insight that everything is made up of our thoughts. In other words, that the outside world is secondary to the inner world, that it's the inner world that actually creates the experience of the outer world. And, you know, when you talk to people in um, science today that are on the frontiers of, you know, quantum mechanics, or they're on the frontiers of studying, you know, the meaning of consciousness, you know, they're going to tell you that 
you know, uh, there was an idea that we found in, in uh, early on with, with people that were, you know, early scientific frontier folks like um, Galileo and Copernicus and, you know, the thing that many of them began to see is that much of the, even then, in their own way in the West, they would say things like that our, what we see and what we smell and what we sense through the senses, that that's really not so much about the outside world. It's about the inner interpretation, of it, right? And then they would say that there are certain things that are that are real, right? There are certain kind of constructive realities that are real that don't depend on our senses. But but modern science today is kind of taking the Buddhist insight into play by saying that everything that we experience right now is really not happening in any sense of out there, that it's all happening in here. And, and in some ways, that's a natural progression for Western science. But this is something that was foundational in the teaching of the Buddha, both in this fantastic sense of it, but also in this very practical sense, that if we recognize that it is with our thoughts that we make up our experience, that we create our sense of being in the world, which also affects our actions. If we can wake up to this, then it becomes profound. I always like the quote from Charles Darwin who said, you know, it is, it is the greatest point of our evolution. Uh, I'm paraphrasing, but it's, it's the height of an evolution of a species to recognize that they can change the way they think. They can, they can change one thought for another. And to us, that might seem very simple, right? Because we're, we're kind of exposed to this idea, we're used to this idea. But most people still don't live out of it. They don't live out of the insight of Shakyamuni. They, they, they kind of follow the thoughts and feelings that flow from them as reality. And then they don't question it. And then they're caught up in all the suffering and the anguish and the depression and the anxieties and all the stuff, that, the anger and all the things that flow out of thoughts, which may have no basis in reality, and yet they're living out of them. I know. I've been there. I've experienced it. There's a, a YouTube page I follow. It's the, it's the actor... Anthony Hopkins, and Anthony has leanings towards Buddhism, and, and often on Sundays he'll offer a little saying, and um, uh, this past Sunday he offered a saying, and it was uh, a saying from his father, he said, that today is the tomorrow you worried about yesterday. Today is the tomorrow you worried over yesterday. And it's so true. It's so true. 
Mark Twain once said, I have suffered many things in this life, some of which actually happened. And so that's the heart of what the Buddha is getting at. And that was, a, that was a revelation. It caused, in some ways, a sort of revolution of mind. And it made its way into the Greek world, into the Arabic world, into the Western world. And, and it's glorious. It's glorious when you're able to integrate that into your own existence. And the second thing that Shakyamuni Buddha did was to reveal to us this infinite light and life, which is the ground of our very being, being and becoming. That he revealed that, that in some traditions, they say that was the primary thing that he came to share with us, to let us know that we are one. And that that oneness is not something that we had to gain by merit or something that we can lose by fault. But that this was our original blessing. And that all we have to do is wake up to it, take refuge in it, and allow it to unfold and transmogrify. So that's who Shakyamuni Buddha is. And of course, we use his life as the cycle of liturgical season that we follow. So uh, our liturgical season in the Dragonfly Sangha is made up of the basic stories of the Buddha's life, his birth, his awakening, his death and his passing into nirvana. Those are the primary cycles that we follow. And then the other two are about Sangha, the retreat we have coming up on August 26th at the beautiful Allenberry Spring Resort um, is about Sangha. And in this case, it's about the relationship we have to the ancestors and the relationship we have to our descendants, and we will be the ancestors, and the responsibilities that that entails. And we have another one, uh, Oban, which is about celebrating our ancestors in the sense of those who have made our lives better, upon whose shoulders that we often sit so that is the life of Shakyamuni. And I think if, if you summed up his message, it would be simply that life is rough, but we can choose to live nobly. So again, I encourage each of you today to wake up and take refuge in your own true self. And then once you've done that, reach out to us, join our community, allow that relationship to help you grow in your own commitment, in your own nurture of that dynamic.
So that's what's showing. 